0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy.
1: Fall guy. What's what the poster said?
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy.
2: Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Rated PG thirteen. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today.
0: Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Tremendously, fantastically,
2: unbelievably good as we approach a return to actual real live club level football.
0: Real football, none of that international garbage. But um you know, the World Cup draw will dictate most for the next twenty-four hours or so, but we can talk about that another day. Let us begin today's podcast, which is ostensibly about talking about Liverpool versus Watford, a topic that probably only needs fifteen to twenty minutes, by looking at some of the questions we've been given recently. This one is from Harry Welchie let's have a good old Dave11 versus Carl11. The worst 11 in the league must be a regular starter in that position, so you can't have Adrian. So we said it as a regular starter, we were like, okay, well, actually, you said this. We'll do a minimum of 10, 10 starts in this Premier League campaign. So you have to start started at least 10 games to date to qualify. So we'll do it. position... First of all, what formation have you gone for?
2: I've gone for... It. Almost a good old fashioned four four two. It ended up a four-four one one in the end, because I just couldn't find two forwards I wanted.
0: Okay, mine is also a four-four-two, so we can go by that. Let's start with goalkeeper. And um I've had a tough time narrowing it down. I've got two options here. I think I'm gonna go for Alex McCarthy, just slightly worse than Daniel Bachman. I think he's obviously a bit older as well. He's maybe just past the point of his career where he's a Premier League calibre player. So I've gone for Alex McCarthy of Southampton as my goalkeeper. 15 starts this season.
2: Yeah, it's fair. I mean, we have spell in general of Premier League keepers. is Not Mm. too bad. And uh, it's the same again this season. So McCarthy has effectively lost his place by by not being consistent enough, not being uh, sharp enough, really. I went for the other one that you mentioned, uh, Daniel Backman. I don't really think he's Premier League starting calibre. He's done okay in certain games. Um, Obviously Mm. in as well for for Ben Foster not being available. But overall, I think he's probably just about the pick of the bad bunch for me.
0: The only reason I spared him is because of what I've put in front of him (laughs) and what he's had to play behind. So I, I did factor that in a little bit. Like, at least McCarthy has had... Bednarak, and Sally Sue and and good fullbacks, whereas the Watford defence is is less good. But let's move into defence then. Uh, Who have you gone for at right back?
2: I've gone for one of your favourites. I've gone for Luke Ailing.
0: Yes, we have our first cross. Uh, our first <laughs> crossover. I've got Luke Ailing as well. Beautiful.
2: Less less about the technique. Less about the. Uh, positional intricacies of the modern-day fullback, and more about you play there, you'll run.
0: Yeah, go out and grunt a lot. <laughs> It'll fool people into thinking you can play the game. Yes, yeah, so I've got Luke Ailing at right-back as well. I, I just, I, I can't think of anything that the fella's good at other than running. And credit to him, like, he does put in a shift, but he has been badly found out of this division. And when he plays centre-back, it's even more stark just how out of his depth he is. Let's move across to left back then. Oh, hold on, hold on. Before we move okay. across,
2: I've got a Luke ailing related question for you. Oh, okay. Is there a player whose um, aesthetic appeal and personal styling has a bigger discrepancy between what they look like they should be and their actual level of footballing ability since Robbie Savage?
0: You mean with his top knot and his flowing hair? (laughs) Um, When Leeds came up into the Premier League, there was a lot of ambitious haircuts in that team. Like a lot of ambitious. Like Tyler Roberts, ambitious haircut. Jack Harrison, ambitious haircut. Alioski had the bleach thing going. Calvin Phillips is quite ambitious, but he can pull it off because he's a really good player. And I think Ailing just sort of jumped on board with this level of ambition that lads were going with the appearance. And, um, yeah, I mean, Robbie Savage is the all timer. Robbie Savage pulling up at Leicester the first month he was there with his hair freshly bleached and blow dried, driving a Ferrari, having just joined from crew is, uh, is one of the all time great football moments followed by. Robbie Savage replying to me saying this on Twitter, calling me a liar, me pulling up the stories from both Martin O'Neill and his own mother, supporting the fact that he had A, gotten his hair bleached and blow dried and B, bought a Ferrari in his first month at the club. And then Robbie Savage blocking me in response to me highlighting the fact that he was calling me a liar for quoting his manager and his own mum. So, you know, Robbie Savage lives on his own little pedestal there. But Luke Ailing, it, it is ambitious. And I'm all for the ambition, you know, but try and look the part. Dress the job you want, not the job you have. And he wants to be a top-class player. But unfortunately, I think he's a very good championship player who's just not quite good enough for the Premier League. I think there's a lot of them around the division, uh, and and he's just in that, that group. Um. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone else that qualifies in that, you know, what you look like versus how you play type of thing in the league right now. What about left back then? Who've you gone for?
2: No, left back I've gone for a repurposed player at club level who I don't think this role suits him at all, and I think that it he gets shown up a bit, and that's um my good god, I was gonna call him Lionel Richie. That would be even worse. We're we'll going for <laughs> Newcastle's Matt Ritchie, um who obviously wasn't. Also- yet.
0: Yeah. Sorry, he is also in my team, but he's not my left back, he is my left okay. winger. Okay. Um but yeah, yeah. Matt Ritchie. I,
2: I, I think it's a little bit unfair on him because obviously he he transitioned basically from left winger to wing back when they went to a back five, and because he's very, very hard working and tenacious and all the rest of it, mm. he does do what is asked of him. I just don't think that, you know, he's not that good at it. It's not his game really, is it? And then when they go to a back four and he's moved back again from a a wing back role into an actual full back role, I think again, it kind of exposes him unfairly.
0: Yeah, I also think he's been quite unfortunate to have spent a substantial period of his career being managed by Steve Bruce. Um that's just never gonna help. You know, especially in and around that thirty thirty one age when he's trying to I suppose transition into what he's going to be for the last part of his career and Steve Bruce is shunting him the left back. Now obviously Eddie Howe has come in who's managed him before and he's tried to play him in more advanced areas but he has been well and truly bruised which is why he shows up in my team. I've gone for Eric Peters. Now I know he's the backup left back at uh, Burnley but because Charlie Taylor is one of the more injury prone players in the league Eric Peters, actually have I, I think I might have messed this up. I don't think Eric Peters Oh, he hasn't. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, he only has eight. Eric Peters only has eight. He's played three League Cup games as well. That's why I, oh, I've let myself down here. This I'd is, like to apologise to my family. I think this goes on the points tally guy for minutes late. Hang <laughs> on a second now. Um... I looked at his overall tally of appearances. And he does have 11 starts, but three of them are in the League Cup. Shite. Can I interest you in a team
2: swap for Connor Roberts?
0: I don't mind Conor Roberts. But I might take Matt Loughton and put him across to left back, because I think he is, at this point, well, out of his depth in the Premier League. He was a decent Premier League player a few years ago, but he has injuries and just age in general have slowed him. I'll just move. I'll, I'll, you've got to have a Burnley representative in this type of thing. I'll move Matt Loughton across. I did have Stuart Dallas written down here as well, but he's likely not played 10 games at left, at left back this season because he gets used here, there, and everywhere. So, again, I think he is just another one of those players who is a good championship player, who doesn't have the ability. He's actually played 12 times at left-back this season. Have they all been starts is the question. 11. Yeah, 11 starts. Stuart Dallas is worth the mention as well. 11 starts at left-back, 11 at at right-back. Stuart Dallas might be the third fullback in the squad to cover both sides, but um I will go with I'll go with Matt Loudon. Right, who have we got at centre back then? Uh
2: I've got a relegation zone pairing, as might be expected. I've got um well, Craig Cathcart. There's that.
0: <laughs>
2: and I have also gone with Ben Gibson of Norwich.
0: Ooh. Interesting. I did consider yeah. Grant Hanley of Norwich.
2: Ah, no, um, see, this is, this is what I was going to clarify with. I put Grant Hanley down initially, but I actually think he's had a much better season than, well, see, quite a few same. in the Premier League. I,
0: I don't know if i go that far now. The man is playing in a team that have conceded 63 goals, of which he has been at fault for mm. a substantial amount of them. But he has had a better season than Gibson, Even though I think Gibson is a better defender and a better footballer than him, Hanley has had a better season. So what I did was I decided who's the worst player in the league and I'm going to build around him. So Craig Cathcart, for me, is the worst player in the Premier League. So I've gone for him as one of mine, as you have. Um, And what I've done is I've just picked the worst possible partner for him and that happens to be his club teammate, Proust Ekong, who looks a decent player at international level, can strike a nice penalty, and is absolute dogshit in the Premier League. So I've gone for him. Uh, you've gone Ben Gibson, and I don't disagree, But especially based on this season. Gibson really has struggled, and I don't really understand... Well, I, the reason they're not playing... There's two reasons they're not playing Kabak. One, him and Hanley would be quite a slow pairing. Two, if he plays a certain amount of games, there's an obligation in there. So I think that's basically... And he's also had a few injuries in that, but still, I, w- I would have liked to have seen Quebec and Gibson get a run of games together for Norwich. I think that would have been better than what we've seen. Grant Hanley... I mean, he's basically just a Scottish Maguire with less ability, isn't he? Like, he's he's got an enormous head that he'll throw at everything but he's really poor 1v1. He's no pace. And Gibson... Ben Gibson might just be a little bit soft. He might just be a little bit soft. Doesn't like the physical side of things. Gets got, Didn't fit at Burnley at all. For whatever reason, they just gave up on him. Like, really quickly, they gave up on him. He was brought in, I think, to replace Ben Mee, or with the view to replace Ben Mee, and never even got close. I wonder is he just a, a typical soft lad from Middlesbrough? I can hear guys <laughs> is steaming. Good. Um right, so so we've our got card and that's the most important thing. And then I've got Truce De Kong. You've got uh Ben Gibson into midfield. I've got Matt Ritchie on my left wing. Who've you got out there?
2: I have got Uh, I've just now taken the decision to move him now I've got Tom Cleverley I had him in centre mid and I had Solly March on the left but Solly March is not that bad I just don't think he's that good either so I've taken the decision a different midfielder over March and Cleverly out on the left
0: Tom Cleverly makes my team absolutely Uh, Solly March as a squad player he's fine because he can play a bunch of positions a, a bit like Stuart Dallas he's more talented than Dallas I do think he's probably more a Championship player than a Premier League player, but um, there's 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 games where Solly March can have really impactful performances. So yeah, I think you're fair. You're fair to leave him out. Uh, Tom Cleverley, absolutely deserving of a place in this team. Um, I'll I've got him in central midfield because I wanted to keep the spine of my team with some familiarity. So with Cathcart and Truex Kong at centre back, I've gone for Cleverly and Kuka, uh, also of Watford. Also, absolutely shocking as my central midfield pairing. So strong Watford representation, which is kind of why I felt bad for Daniel Backman uh, <laughs> at the start because <laughs> Jesus, what well, you drive a lorry through the middle of them boys, uh, right? Who then do you have in your central midfield?
2: Juraj Kuchka.
0: Oh, yes. So you've got him as well. Oh, yes. <laughs>
2: uh, I, I think he might actually be the worst performer I've seen this season he, in any... Position. He might
0: be the captain of this team.
2: Of, other than who didn't qualify for this team, Danny uh,
0: Danny Rose. Danny Rose. Also, Bob <laughs> <of> Watford. Yes. <laughs> and he was in the team when Batum was in the team as well. No wonder the poor fella got dropped. Um, Right. So you've got three of your midfielders then are... Cleverly, Kuchka... Oh, who, so you, that's two of your midfielders. Who else have you got in there?
2: So, who I actually wanted in here missed the cut by one appearance. I think... I don't 100% know, because I haven't seen enough of him, but I think Shandon Baptiste might actually be the least football-y footballer in the Premier League. <laughs> but he's only made nine starts, so he doesn't quite make the cut. I'm um, not sure so he's a footballer at all, that fella. No. So no
0: football ability. <laughs>
2: So instead in central midfield I've got Matthias Norman who I think is the opposite of uh, Shandon Baptiste in that he looks like he should be a footballer but actually he doesn't do anything whatsoever nothing positive really. oh,
0: we we massively disagree we massively disagree on Matthias Norman um Shandon Baptiste you know the old video is it is it Peter K and he's out warming up and there's a bunch of lads doing flicks and tricks and it drops to Peter Kay and he just leathers it way down like over a crossbar or something.
2: Yeah,
0: That's that what happens. Shandon Baptist, it's almost like someone told him, the ball is a bomb. Don't go near it. If you find it in close proximity to you, just get rid of it. And um yeah, oh, we disagree massively on Matthias Norman. I think he's quite a decent player. Um, I, that's what I say. I think he should be, but he is
2: hugely underwhelming. What he actually does to stop people playing, given the team he's in and the midfield role that he has, I think he's been.
0: Really- I think he's miscast. Though I don't think he's a ball winner. I think he's a better passer than he is ball winner. Like when he was playing in the Norwich midfield earlier in the season, he was actually the one kind of making things happen and getting them moving. And then they tried to force Billy Gilmore in next to him. And he sort of got lumped into this ball winning. And I know he looks like he should be a ball winner, but I, I think he's actually more of a kind of a distributor type, just keep things moving along. Not the great one now, but I think he's all right. But okay, so you've got Matthias Norman, Cleverly, and Kuchka. That's three of your midfield. Yep. Who's on your right uh, Ar- wing?
2: Aaron Lennon, who was obviously. He's older now, he's still trying to be used as a player that he was 10 years ago and obviously after the time out of football and then coming back I just don't think he's at the same level anymore.
0: No, he's definitely not. It's it's interesting to see Aaron Lennon who could once knock the ball past any fullback and outrun them, now knock the ball past any fullback and get outrun regardless of who they are but he hasn't quite made the cut for me. I've gone for former Red Adam Lalana in my team an absolute empty shirt, if ever there was one. Absolutely hopeless in all aspects of the game. Can't run anymore without pulling a hamstring. Can't really kick the ball anymore without dislocating something. um Very much an empty shirt for Brighton. So I've got him in there with Kuchka. Cleverly's playing kind of tucked in off the right, the old coquet roll. And Matt Ritchie, my rampaging left winger. Uh Who have you caught up front then?
2: Uh, I've gone for, again, two who have enormous talents, actually, here, and one of them, I think, has been woefully, woefully misused for most of his career, and unfortunately, that might be what he is now, and that's Alex Iwobi. Um, again, not a, not a very good season with Everton, but the guy's been moved around all over the place, hasn't really had a regular run. And uh, his former teammate, who... Again, had an absolutely stinking half season has departed and suddenly looks a footballer again, and that's Albamio.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Um, Iwobi is such a weird player because you can tell there is talent there. It's just that he's. It's not that he's really versatile. It's just that managers don't really know where to play him, so he gets stuck everywhere, and he becomes kind of quasi uh, versatile. Um I've gone for Benteke up front. Now, I know we had the renaissance of Benteke last season, but I am firmly putting that down to the fact that it was his contract year and he was looking to get a couple more years out of Crystal Palace after being dreadful, absolutely dreadful, in the previous couple of years. So if we go back to 2017-18 with Christian Benteke, he plays uh, 31 league games, gets three goals. 18-19, it's uh, 16 league games, one goal. 19-20, 24 league games, two goals. Last season, then, he manages to pull out 10 goals from 30 games, gets himself a new contract, And then this season, it's four goals from 22 games. I've warned about the contract year spike before, and this is a prime example of it. Uh, Absolutely shocking. So I've got Ben Teke as my nine. This one is more because he's just been so poor this season. I actually think he's a decent, I think he's a good player, or he will be a good player. But I've gone for Adam Armstrong from Southampton. Because they paid $20 to get him. They beat Crystal Palace and Norwich to his signing. He was coming off a season scoring 29 goals in the Championship for Blackburn in 43 games across all competitions. He's got two goals this year. He's out of the team. He's not even like the the third striker. At this point, he's their fourth option up front. And I just think he's been a massive, massive disappointment for them. I do think he can bounce back. I expect that we'll see more from him next year. But this season, a bit like you picking Ben Gibson, uh, he's just been so bad that he had to go in. He's the one I think can elevate himself out of this team. All the rest of them, I'm afraid. It's over. It's over for you people. I have absolutely nothing to add to your team. I'm just glad we established that, Craig Cathcart. <laughs> so we've got Craig Cathcart, Luke Ailing, Tom Cleverly, Kuchka, and Matt Ritchie. We we both have those five.
2: Yeah.
0: So those Definitely five, I think we this season rather than We yeah yeah true. We can we can mark them down as probably the five worst players in the league. Um other than, other than the ones obviously who didn't didn't make the cut, because there are some stinkers who just didn't make the cut. Uh we have a question here from Isaac Gilding. Each of you are Jurgen Klopp in an alternate reality where you have the most ridiculous midfield group, you have to select a starting three from all of these players that you have previously described, that you've both previously described as extreme Klopp players. The eighth midfielders you both have are Fabinho, Tiago, Nabi, Bernardo, Kovacic, Chouameni, Jude Bellingham and Mason Mount. So you have to pick a starting three from that group. Now what I would suggest is that your number six is going to be between Fabinho and and Chouameni. Your left-sided eight is between Thiago and Naby. Kovacic could play there, but I think he and all the others, Bernardo, Jude and Mason Mount, are all better suited to the right-hand side role. The more attack-minded role. The one to really bomb on and, and add something in attack. Now, I will let you choose yours, but that's how I would break them up. If you're any different, you fire ahead. No, I think that's right. Um, And in fairness, we did very briefly discuss
2: this beforehand. Uh, Fabinho stays exactly where he is, because I don't think that there is a better one on the planet for what he does in this role. Uh, Certainly not for a Klopp system. Thiago, again, would stay in, because I don't think that there are many dual-purpose midfielders in both halves of the pitch who do things as good as him, let alone better than him. And... Given that presumably we're picking this for you know a big match as such you know your your first eleven that would go into a final or a, a key rivalry game or whatever it is it would be Kovačić goes in because mm. I think the only one who would be a candidate to replace him out of that group would be uh, Bernardo Silva who you would maybe want for maybe more of the final pass or uh, maybe one on one situations in crowd a penalty box that kind of thing but overall you know in where where tactical. Positional play is important, and you really want a really good ball carrier and transitions that kind of thing. It would be Kovačić.
0: Yeah, and that that's how it would go for me as well. I, I would start Kovačić on the right. Bernardo, I think, is that yeah that kind of game breaker type who you maybe want to re, want to introduce on um, sixty five if the game's really tight because of his one on one ability, but Bernardo. The only flaw I have with Bernardo is that he has yet to really nail down a position where you'd look at and say, that's his best role. Because, you know, you see him play as an 8 for City, and he's brilliant there. You see him play in the wide roles, and he's brilliant there in the 4-3-3. At Monaco, he played on the right of a 4-4-2. And, like, that's not not a, a, a knock on him, but I don't think he's fully been able to dedicate himself to one position and master it, whereas I think Kovacic has mastered that number eight position.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I think Silva is probably one of the ones who if it was that kind of big game and you didn't want to go all out risk from the start, you would or certainly some managers would take out one of the forward players and play him instead in that role so that you have got the extra Mm. midfielder out of possession, but You've still got that quality in the tech.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement there. Right. The next thing we were going to do, um, summer targets. We'll do that next week. Just, just a time thing. We'll do that next week. But I do have a couple of players, uh, just two that I want to ask you about. I want your opinion on these players. One of them has been linked to Liverpool of late. The other has not, but he is a player that's just sort of caught my eye a couple of times this season when I've watched him. So I want your opinion on this is the one that hasn't been linked. This is just the one that has caught my eye. You mentioned his teammate the last day we did this, Dan Juma. But what do you make of Jeremy Pino? Uh, he's a very interesting player. I don't think that he's actually
2: of the the very, very highest level in terms of where, you know, where he might reach, let's say, just because I think he he reminds me quite a lot and not in a, um, not in terms of a career trajectory, hopefully, or anything like that, but he reminds me a lot in the final third of what Jordan Ib used to be with Liverpool, where he does the same things over and over again, and if it doesn't work, he doesn't really find different solutions. He's a much better player than I was at that time, he's, he's you know, really technically a really good player, but he doesn't really play with his head up all of the time. Now, a lot of the time when you see him have great games or great impact in games, and it is pretty much just in spells of matches, or halves of matches at the moment, he's still only a teenager, it's because he has really good space to run into, or he's been able to Use a counter attack in situations where he does really well one on one against a particular defender, but I don't necessarily think that he's a great uh, problem solver, I guess is the word, in the way that, let's say, Raheem Sterling was when he, when he was at Liverpool and he was, you know, that kind of age in the final third. I think he's a very, very good one on one player, but I just don't think he has the brain power basically of the very top players. You know, like Sadio Mane will do anything. All different ways to get past his man. If he can't, it's be- he will find a different way in terms of just playing in field and playing sensibly and picking up different positions on the pitch. Jeremy Pino doesn't really, at this point, strike me as a player who has that to his game. He's a lot more about his on the ball impact, one on ones, and the speed and all the rest of it. Probably, probably a bit of a better finisher than a lot of the young wide forwards that we've seen, you know, around Europe or the top sides around Europe over the last couple of years but
0: there needs to be quite a lot more to the game than that. Are you saying he's a, a right wing or a winger version of Aldi Moreno? No, he's he's more sensible and has a, a higher <laughs> level than that. I
2: who's he he's in the Premier League at the minute. Let's say, I think he's a little bit similar to Adam ola in what he does on the ball in terms of one-on-one, he can be really, really good. He can be, like, looks like he can be a proper world beater. If it doesn't go his way, I'm not sure that there's enough in the rest of his game, in terms of how he can uh, think about different ways to help the team to really take that next level. Although I would say that I also, no, no, it's not the same thing. So
0: no, I'll stick with that. Adam Olaudahman is probably about. Is he the being? Level, think, the minute. Is he being held back by who his manager is? <laughs> not not to have a you, dig at Emery you're setting me up for that <laughs> I, I am in a way but I, it's not like is <clears throat> not someone with a great track record of developing young players he sort any of players. gets any yeah but he sort of he takes players as what they are and he uses yeah. them as what they are he does never tries to expand their games a whole lot
2: yeah,
0: exactly. uh, so I'm just I'm, I'm curious if Pino got in with a club who's an elite player development guy and obviously we have two great player development coaches at the club already in terms of Pepin and uh, Vitor Matas. Uh, are they the type of coaches that could help him or do you think it's just that he's kind of a one-track player and that's what he will be?
2: Uh, I, I don't know because there's probably not enough game time there to make that kind of a judgment and certainly not mm. you know being able to watch the kind of coaching that they do. So yeah, I'm sure that a certain type of coach would do, but equally another type of coach might make him uh Tino livramento style fullback instead of a winger, and give him yeah no real reason to to upgrade the you know thinking power that he needs in the final third, but instead give him more physical space to run into from deeper. You know, it could go either way with different kind of coaches. So I, I think he's a good player, and I absolutely wouldn't be surprised to see him make the move to the type of team who. Uh, trying to break into the Champions League, for example, because he probably helped them get better in terms of the overall squad options. But I don't think he's of the caliber to go on and be a you know a real starter for a title-winning
0: side. Okay, and the other one, this is one that ha- this is a player that has been linked with Liverpool in recent days. There may be nothing to it, but his club are eyeballing potentially the biggest summer anyone's ever had by bringing in. Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe, and with the form of Vinicius Junior, plus the presence of Karim Benzema, this is the guy who might just get shunted out of the way. Rodrigo, what do you make of him? Would you take him at Liverpool? And if you would, what kind of price would you pay?
2: Right. So I did see these rumours, and I saw where the where they came from. Basically, there was a show on in Spain where they were talking about Real Madrid season and basically trying to land the two of them that you mentioned, Mbappe and Haaland. And the thought was that they would only get Haaland if they offloaded a couple of players, but they would only be able to get both of them if they offloaded more than a couple of players first. So all those ones like Asensio and Jovic and Hazard and Bale, who are not in the side at all, or Asensio is in and out, but the other ones are, are taking up massive wages and are not involved, they would have to leave first of all before it could even be possible. And then... If he came in, they would also get rid of a couple of squad players like Rodrigo, and they said that his price would be €40 million and that there was already interest from the Premier League. So €40 million, you're looking at just under £35 million, which is around the jota Luis Diaz sort of price range. So I could see that happening on on two counts. right? One is that Liverpool tried to sign him in late 2017. He was still like on the verge of breaking through between youth team and senior sides in brazil at the time and liverpool tried to get a deal wrapped up to bring him over to england when he hit 18 but real madrid came in then with a much much bigger bid and that's why they ended up getting him the following year so i could definitely see the case for as liverpool have done with several other players like sadio mane and a few others where they don't get them first time around but they keep tabs they keep really really close eye on them and as long as they follow the trajectory which they initially thought that they might be able to they're still Happy to do it later on because when they bring them in, they think that they can still help them get to an even higher level there. And the coaching that you just mentioned before, for example, would be a lot better one-on-one, uh, personal development, growth opportunities being in the first team at Liverpool than it is at Real Madrid. We know that like, for a fact because that's just not what Real Madrid are about. When you go in there, yeah. you're expected to already be able to either be at that level or get yourself there. That's what that club is, and you know that works well for them. That's that's the culture of the club. So. Definitely, I could see it from that perspective. I don't think Rodrigo is as good, and I, I remember we had a conversation about the, these two on the podcast quite a while ago.
0: I don't Karen think Vinny, is,
2: yeah. as good yeah, uh, the, as Vinny. I think Vinny is probably of a technical level, they're both about the same, but in terms of final third, the ridiculous, relentless level that Vinny has, the composure that he has now grown to in the penalty box i think he's like at least one level if not probably three above him and they are of a very very similar age that doesn't yeah. make rodrigo not good because i'm talking about vinicius being like one of the finest in europe at that this season so i could definitely see the argument for rodrigo being able to be even if he's not of a sala level being of a i don't know let's say jota level so i could see it happening except it would, again, for us be the same thing, only if at least two of ours left. Because having brought in Diaz and Rodrigo is nowhere near as effective on the right as he is coming in from the left-hand side, I'm not sure
0: it makes tons of sense for for him to be the one. That's fair. I I do remember our conversation, and I think at the time we both said Vinicius' ceiling is definitely higher But there's a clearer path for Rodrigo to reach his ceiling because at the time, this was in his first season at the club, he was showing a lot more aggression and purpose when he had the ball. And the big flaw we both thought was that was in Vinicius's game is that at times he would take the ball into the final third and then he'd become very passive with it. Yeah, he'd run out of ideas with it. Yeah, he'd run out of ideas where... Rodrigo seemed to have his decision made as to what he was going to do as he picked the ball up. Now, there's no doubt, this season, Vinicius has been incredible. 17 goals in 39 games. The back half of last season he is when he really kicked on and when he really started to find this level. But his first two seasons of the club, I don't think anyone could look at and say, even the first two and a half seasons, and say they weren't disappointing. Vin- um Rodrigo is about 2 months behind where Vinicius really kicked on now. It was probably last January for Vinicius, we're obviously about to enter April, so you could even say maybe 3 months. But it took a long time for Vinicius to really find anything resembling high-end form. Whereas in Rodrigo's first season at the club, he actually did quite well. He scored 9 goals In, I think it was about 25 games. Sorry, seven goals in about 25 games. And he looked purposeful. He looked like a guy that had ideas and had a creative spark. In his second season, again, he did not great, but okay. This season, and I suppose last season as well, he, he hasn't been good. Last season was a bit of a disappointment, and he played 1,300 minutes. I think this season he's in and around the same. He's at 1,600 minutes. He's not getting anywhere near the opportunities. But I do just wonder, like, Real is such a bad club when it comes to developing young players. And you can go through a list of high-end players that are currently around Europe who never got much chance at Real. The two most obvious ones being Hakimi and Theo Hernandez, now arguably both top three in the world in their positions. Whereas at Real, they were just cast aside. Luka Jovic joined them as the hottest young striker going, bar Haaland and Mbappe, and now he's—I mean, he's had a one failed loan. There's not really a, a stream of clubs signing up or uh, lining up to sign him this summer. And I do just wonder if if it's more a, a Real thing than a Rodrigo thing, and maybe getting him out of that environment could be a big help as you said he has been he is more effective probably on the left than the right but he has played more games in his career on the right hand side he's played 77 there as opposed to 50 51 on the left 10 through the middle and then sort of two off a striker i just wonder if maybe they'll look at him and think we can get if he can come in and play all across the front line for us, and we can raise his level incrementally without putting huge pressure on him, maybe that's the player we really want. Because, like you said, we did try and sign him when he was still a kid. The ta- the talent is there, but it, it hasn't gone great at Real. The, the 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 forty million euro as well would be like it's a lot for a player who's. Coming off, what will be two bad seasons, even though he'll be young, it will be two bad seasons in a row.
2: I would still be fairly surprised if we added another one, unless Sadio Mane left, to be honest. Even if we
0: say Ariki's going or gone, mm. oh, yeah, we're not going to sign yeah. him unless Sadio goes. There's no big signing in attack. I do think Sadio is
2: going, and especially not the one who isn't predominantly left sided as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. And I think if Sadio goes, the other thing as well is if Sadio's going, you don't really want to bring in a project to replace Sadio. Like I know the idea would be like Diaz steps up, Jota steps up and more of the responsibility goes on them, but I, I still think you'd be better off going for someone closer to ready made, such as Christopher Nkunku, you know, getting a guy that you know can step in and immediately perform. And that isn't going to need a big adaptation period, because like, the other thing with with Rodrigo as well would be how would he how would he adapt to how we play off the ball because he's not really asked to press at Real Madrid, not in the way he would be at Liverpool. So that's a big question as well. Um, I just saw the link today. I thought it was interesting. I, I, I wondered what you'd make of it. Let's, uh, let's dig into Watford then for the last 15 or so. So they come into this game having won their last game. They beat Southampton at St. Mary's by two goals to one. Chico Hernandez with the two. El pulled one back for Saints, but it wasn't enough. Prior to that, they'd lost three of four with the fourth game being a nil-nil draw away to Manchester United in which they were absolutely dreadful and still somehow got a point. They did beat Steven Gerrard's Watford uh, 1-0 before that, but then prior to that, they'd gone on a run of 11 games without a win, only two draws in there, so nine defeats. And that brought us back to the 4-1 whooping they laid on Manchester United in what was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's last game in charge. If we're being honest, these are not a good football team. Uh, There's a reason they've lost 19 games this season from 29 played, second most in the division. There's a reason they've conceded 55 goals, which is bottom three or four in the division. Um, Is there anything to like about this team in terms of goalkeeper, defence or midfield? (laughs)
2: you mean the goalkeeper defensive midfield that we mostly put in our team at the start of the yes (laughs) no No, there's not do you know what this this Watford side is mostly for me subbed summed up by the sentence Ken Semmer comes on as sub Uh, that just it tells me everything that I need to know and most of that says I'm not interested
0: yeah I mean let's just, just let's just run through the squad quickly so your goalkeeper's Ben Foster, 38 years of age. Can't really jump around anymore. Not very good. Daniel Backman, we've mentioned. Rob Elliott, uh, no. Thank you. Jerry, the defenders, Jeremy, Jeremy Ngakia, who's not bad. Not bad at all. Danny Rose, who can no longer play football. Trusta Kong, who's awful. Adam Messina, who's decent. Inkolo is decent, but injury prone. Hassan Kamara, the new left back, is, is, is quite good. Cathcart's the worst player in the division. Kiko Femenia is lucky not to be on our squad. Samir, I like. Cabacelli's awful. Serralta's decent. Uh, James Morris, I don't know much about, to be honest. So he could be anything. In midfield, I've got Peter Atibo, who I like. He's in on loan from Stoke, but he's quite injury prone. Imran Luza, I do like. I think he's decent. Cleverly's awful. Dan Gosling's not a Premier League player, never was. Musa Sissoko has found a club that is of his level, finally, after all these years. Uh, Kushka is terrible. Kayambe is decent. He's a good ball winner. And Camille Conte is a young kid from the academy who's promising. Do you disagree with any of my designations for those players?
2: No. I think Imran Lose is probably the pick of them for me. Um, yeah. I think. I think Kamara has been pretty good for them at left back since he came in. To be fair, and obviously the the big changes in defense that they made halfway through the season were probably an acknowledgement that the other players that you know the other half of the defense that you mentioned were not up to scratch.
0: So the goalkeeper defense and midfield are largely poor. I, 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 you could be, even go as far as awful. But I actually think they've got quite a decent group of attackers. Now, take Ken Sema and throw him in the bin. But the rest of them, there is some talent here. Josh King is not good, but he's okay. I really like Joe Pedro. I think he's one we should consider as like a long-term Bobby replacement. Ishmael Asar, I think we both like, and he's one that's been linked before. Emmanuel Dennis, I do very much like. He's had a good season. He's tailed off a bit recently, but he is a quality player. Uh, Samuel Kalu is a good player, plenty of talent. Chucho Hernandez is a talented player, can play either side. little bit inconsistent, but he's only 22. Cuadro just hasn't played because he has a fractured ankle, so you can't really count him. But that group of attackers, Bar Ken Sema, is actually quite decent.
2: Yeah, it's better than quite a few teams, a few points above them, like like Leeds, to be honest. I know mean, they've got Rafinha. Mm. But other than that, it's basically Bamford and then a bit of a drop, to be honest. I, I don't think that like Harrison and Dan James are any better than, let's say, Josh King? Maybe a little better than Josh King? I don't think they're as good as Saar and Dennis, and I think if they'd have put... If Watford had put and uh, Couture Hernandez a, a lot earlier on this season, they'd be in a better position as well. You know, Josh King had a very, very good start to the season, and I think that that's kind of kept him in place for about four months too long, to be honest.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, if, if either Pedro or Hernandez had, had played a good bit earlier, I think they'd be slightly better off. But also, and probably more importantly, if they'd all been playing as a group about 20 yards closer to the goal, rather than always yes. having to be counterattacking from like 70 yards downfield.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't help when your starting position as the number nine is the edge of the centre circle in your own half. That's going to put you on the back foot. But, like, if they'd gone with, say, Pedro and Dennis as a two, Chicho Hernandez on the left and Ismael Sar on the right, and just said, you know what, let's just go and attack. Let's just go and have fun. Let's just be an entertaining team and let the chips fall where they may. They actually would have caused teams a lot of problems, especially with the likes of, if they put, say, Imran Luza and Itibo, if he'd stayed fit, or Kayamba now as a, just a sitting pivot who could just break play up and get them moving in the opposite direction. That's not a bad front six. Kamara at left back and Gakia at right back. That's again, not bad. It's, they're aggressive. They're dynamic fullbacks. The centre-back situation is appalling and the, the goalkeepers we've talked about. But like, there is the pathway to them having a good team. But unfortunately for them, they're going to go down most likely. They're probably going to lose Sar, because I don't think he'll take another relegation. They'll probably lose Emmanuel Dennis, because I think he's too good to go down with them. And I don't think Joe Pedro will stick around for another relegation when he's clearly... More than good enough to play in the Premier League. So, you know, they've just sort of wasted having had these players and they're on their third manager of the year. Cisco was sacked in October. Um, the, the, the typical Watford reaction to a questionable start. They lost four of their first seven games. It still took seven points, which, you know, is almost a third of the points they have now. Uh, they sacked him. They bring in Ranieri. We walloped them in his first game. Uh, then they beat Everton. They get very excited. They lose to Southampton. They lose to Arsenal. Then they beat United. And again, they get very excited about what it means. And then in January, after a string of defeats, Ranieri is out and the Hodge is in. And since Hodgson took over, they've taken, I believe, eight points from his nine games in charge. So a slightly worse record than Cisco, uh, a slightly well, a better record than Ranieri. That middle part of the season where they had Ranieri was just a complete catastrophe for them.
2: The Ranieri one and even the Hodgson one as well. I'd say uh, very odd appointments for Watford. They have tended to bring in managers who can um, have a real kind of quick impact I suppose but who are one of two things either managers who have been in the Premier League but not not the not the curbishly allardyce pardew sort of variety Mm -hmm. um, but ones who have a little bit of something about them or have got to prove themselves a little bit more that kind of thing or someone from overseas who you just never would have expected to end up in the Premier League job and so that was a real departure to, to Radieri and honestly I don't know what the idea of it was, even the timing of it was weird, because I think we spoke about it at the time, because Liverpool were the first game, they appointed him right at the start of that international break, which on the one hand is fine for you to have, uh, you know, obviously a week clear or whatever to do a good bit of training and shape work with the players, but half of them were away, Mm -hmm. and by the time that first match rolled around, all that kind of... (laughs) first two or three days initial optimism and hard work and all the rest of it from the new manager coming in, that's gone. And like you say, we absolutely walloped them and there was no reaction from them at all at any point. Like Salah literally walked through them for one of the goals. And it was just it, it was very, very difficult to see through much of Ranieri's tenure what they were actually trying to do. I mean, even the Man United game to be honest. The goals were pretty uh explosive and like quite quite shocking to watch United fall apart in that way but I wouldn't say that probably until the second one went in there wasn't really any way that Watford were playing as such and then they just figured no. out how to get through United and then kept doing it which is fine but is not a, a
0: sustainable thing against every club obviously. Yeah give it, give it to somebody let them run at Harry Maguire That's, you can't really do that against everybody it only really works against one or two clubs. United it might work against Grant Hanley things like that Um. Norwich, or sorry, Watford's approach to running a football club is just so strange. You know, like, they used to be a normal club where managers would go and they'd, you know, they'd work a couple of seasons and then they might move on to something bigger or they might have to go back down the leagues and start rebuilding their career. You know, you think of, you know, Malky McKay was there, Brendan Rogers, A.D. Boothroyd, Gianfranco Zola. Graham Taylor's the most famous manager, and he's done. That's where he did his great work in the seventies and eighties. Dave Bassett made his name there as well. But since Sean Dyche was sacked, which is ten years ago, oh, it was was he sacked or did he leave? I can't remember. He, but he left ten years ago this summer to go to. He was sacked when the the new boys bought the club. They sacked him. He left ten years ago and he went to Burnley. Sean Dyche is the only man- manager Burnley have had in that time. This this club have had 13, 13 permanent managers who've managed at least ten games, and four others who've been caretaker. You've had seventeen managers in a decade, and like there's been seasons where they've had three and four managers. We may well see them have another manager before the end of this season. How can, a club, how can a club operate like that? It just makes no sense to me. You
2: know, it does seem to be run on a series of very short-term impact decisions. And even the transfers, Like obviously, it's not quite to the same extent as before. But when they had the, the rotating cast between uh, Granada and Udinese and, and themselves, it was, it was a little bit farcical at times. It was obviously nothing which was a long-term building strategy. For Watford, in particular, to get better, let's say it was very much a this should work this year kind of thing, and we'll go for that,
0: yeah, exactly, and it was the same last season you know they brought in um Cisco after it started badly Well, it didn't even start badly under Iffich. they were still in they were still in the promotion places, they come up and then Cisco gets to chop after seven games, and then it's like you said it's ranieri who. I mean, he's had one great season in his career as a manager, and otherwise he's been the architect of many failures. Hodgson, who was apparently retired, I can only imagine the wife wanted him out the house, so he comes trundling back in with his owl face to make a mess of things. And they, they're going to be the masters of their own demise this week, or this this season. It doesn't really matter who they play. We should beat them regardless. So let's quickly look at what you think, Liverpool should put on the pitch. Now, Trent is back in training, but I would suggest and guess that this is too early for him uh, if we're trying to play up the idea that he did have an injury and we weren't just holding him out of the England squad. So, Alisson in goal, Joe Gomez, Joel Matip, Virgil, and Andy Robertson. Any change from that for you?
2: No, that sounds fine.
0: Midfield? Curtis Jones, Jordan Henderson, Thiago Alcantara as a three.
2: Are you leaving Fabinho aside for a reason?
0: I'm leaving Fabinho aside because we've got a Champions League game in the week that is a must-win, and then we have a game against Manchester City next weekend that is also must-win, and he's flying back from Brazil, and I would rather give him the rest than throw him straight in, whereas Henderson only played in one of the England games and has basically been sat on his backside since, so I think it might make more sense to play him in this one. It, as the six
2: reluctantly I will reluctantly bow to your logic on this, but honestly, if Fabinho is okay, I'd prefer to start him and
0: bring him off after fifty five sixty. Oh yeah, look I'm 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 fine with that as well. I'm I'm just I'm only thinking about the travel that was involved. Now I know Ali's coming back as well, but it's different for a goalkeeper. Um, up front, would would so so would you start if Fabinho's in midfield? Would you go Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago as your three, or would you maybe hold Thiago back for Benfica,
2: or does um, it depend
0: on Naby for you?
2: I think now he's okay. He's been back in training, I think. So, I I wouldn't start Thiago for this one because we're going to want him in those other two. And it's slightly different with him and Fabinho in terms of needing to be looked after and stuff. So I'll mm. go Henderson, Fabinho, and I will cede to you on who you want the third one to be.
0: See, my, my, my logic on the Thiago one was Thiago... Saturday, Nabi midweek, Thiago for City. Oh, okay. You know, that's <laughs> kind of what I was thinking. Then Thiago plays, or then Nabi plays the second leg, Benfica, and Thiago gets City in the cup. But who knows? what he could do something mental, like play neither of them.
1: Harvey um, Elliott
0: will be starting now. Harvey Elliott, Harvey Elliott and James Milner. Um, up front, then, um, Mo has had a bit of a traumatic week going out of the World Cup qualifiers. Sadio, on the flip side, has had a tremendous week qualifying for the World Cup. Would you be interested in running back the Salah Firmino Firmino Mane front three with the eye of that might be the front three to play against City? Yes.
2: Precisely this. Uh, Jota... Hope, I didn't actually see the Portugal game, but I know he claimed an assist and obviously the, the the positivity of them actually going through. I hope all of that is good for him because he wasn't playing that well before, uh, before the international break. So hopefully his uh, sharpness has, has slightly returned a little bit there. But yeah, I'd be starting Firmino for this one. And uh, then we've got two really good goal-creating or scoring options off the bench with uh, Jotran Diaz.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then they can both obviously start against Benfica as well um, in a game that I think will mean a lot to both of them. One of them obviously being Portuguese, and the other one having played for Benfica's biggest rival. Right, so that's it. So give me a prediction then. What do you think happens in this game?
2: 5-0.
0: No messing about.
2: No messing about. Get the job done. Get the job done. Get back on
0: track. (laughs) <laughs> it's just bullying Craig Cap card at this point, isn't it? Um, we
2: have we, also got to factor in that this although it's only for you know, a matter of a couple of hours, we play first. Let's go just yes. put the pressure on yes. them. Yes, turn things around. So whatever it takes, you know, even though a draw would take a stop, that would feel like a defeat. No question about that. You go you're at home against a relegation candidate, smack them. Put the pressure on Man City, let them know that Okay, this is the run-in and it starts right here and you're playing catch-up as we get underway. See, just see what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, sit back and hope that Sean Dyche and his, his band of merry men can can do a bit of a job, you know, because maybe, maybe they can pull something out. Uh, I will go, I'll go 4-0. I'll go 4-0. I will go 4 nil. i will go 4 nil i will not be as ambitious as you. Um, but, yeah, I do think you're right. Hammer them and then sit back and see how City react. I think that's the, the port of call. Right, what have you got coming out that you want people to be aware of?
2: Uh, Everton piece out today looking at Lampard, which has not gone down well with the Everton supporters, um, and how they have not improved under him and how this is a really, really massive week for them. they got West Ham and then they play against Burnley in midweek. And... You don't really want to be dropping too many points out of those two games considering West Ham's relatively lowered form of late and uh, the fact mm. that Burnley are one of the few teams below them in the relegation zone. Uh I also have uh a Jago yeah, Aspas piece coming out ahead of the weekend and probably another European piece if I get time to finish it. And um if if it's a headed last minute winner for Craig Kafka, I'm placing the blame on you.
0: That seems harsh. That seems really harsh now. I don't know how that's my fault. It's not my fault he's the worst player in the league. That's his fault. Right, we'll leave it at that, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show.